Jesus said, I have come to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be a scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Fire. That's the image Jesus used in our reading this morning to describe his mission. He said, I came to bring fire to the earth. He echoed the words God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah long ago when he said, Is not my word like fire, like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces? Here's the thing about fire. It destroys, but it also brings opportunity for new life. I know that the words Jesus spoke this morning don't sound very Jesus-like, do they? We heard it. He told his disciples, do you think that I have come to bring peace to earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. I'm going to divide households against one another. These are strange words from the person whose birth was announced by angels singing about peace on earth, from the person who greeted those in fear and sorrow with words of peace be with you, from the one we sometimes call the Prince of Peace. What we need here, what we often need when the Bible seems inconsistent or contradictory, is some context. You see, in the first century world, following Jesus came with a cost. To follow Jesus meant questioning the religious, economic, social, and political customs and requirements that held society together. Following Jesus meant caring for the powerless and speaking out against the powerful. It meant turning the social order upside down and caring for people who are lowly, more than about power or money or reputation. It meant you believed that a hillbilly rabbi from the middle of nowhere who hung out with prostitutes and peasants and poor people was the Messiah, that he was Lord, not the emperor. Family and friends viewed following Jesus as you turning your back on your heritage, 
your family, your nation, and your God to follow a man who challenged so much of what was held dear, who looked nothing like this world's understanding of wisdom or power, and who was executed as an enemy of the state. And as a result, following Jesus meant that you would face intense pressure from your family and friends to abandon your newfound faith. You'd be publicly shamed for embracing such indecency, shunned by polite people, and potentially disowned by those you love. This is part of what Jesus meant when he said that families would be divided because of him. Following Jesus creates division because not everyone embraces the good news of the gospel. Some people reject or ignore it. Some hear it as bad news. Others think it's a fairy tale, and many, perhaps rightfully, think it's too radical, a dangerous threat to the status quo. Thankfully, the world we live in today, and especially the nation that we live in, is very different from the first century audience that Jesus was speaking to. Most of us will never face persecution or social pressure because we claim to be followers of Jesus. Though I know that some of us do carry the pain and sadness of divided families and broken relationships that come about because of issues of faith and religion. And this morning, we're here for you. But for most of us, being a Christian brings almost no social consequences. It comes with very little cost or demand. And I'm sure this won't surprise you, but I think about that often. I often wonder what people expect to hear when they come to church. What people are expecting a life of faith to demand or ask of them. What people expect to hear from God and expect God to say. And these questions, to be honest, have felt more pressing and important to me in recent years. Because as we all know, things have changed radically in our world. We've created a world where if we don't want to, we don't really need to ever hear things that make us uncomfortable or that challenge us or really even encounter ideas or people that force us to look inward to re-examine and reevaluate, And that's really alarming. It's not good. It is not good that we can just consume news that reinforces what we already believe. That in some places, it's being decided that children should never even be made to feel uncomfortable as they learn in a classroom. That social media companies feed us content that not only tells us what we want to hear, but also intentionally moves us to a more extreme form of that worldview. We've created a culture where so many believe that being challenged is somehow offensive. 
that being made uncomfortable is wrong, something to, to condemn and protest. That encountering people and information that forces us to look within, to reexamine and reevaluate is anathema. And I often wonder how this impacts the church and our lives as Christians. Being a disciple of Jesus involves learning. And teachers here will tell you that learning always means change and growth and reevaluating. We are disciples, a word that means we're following someone else. So we're not finished products. And we should expect to be changed, expect to be challenged, expect to be made new. Jesus did not come to this earth to offer us sweet, non-threatening platitudes or to just tell us the things that we want to hear or to never rock the boat or offend anyone. Jesus said he came to bring fire. God said, is not my word like fire? We even sang it this morning, let it burn like fire within us. And fire is destructive. In 1979, Archbishop Oscar Romero gave a radio sermon. And I've been led to believe that the radio is something people used to listen to to hear information and news and voices. I'll look that up later. Here's what he said. He said, a a church that doesn't provoke any crisis a gospel that doesn't unsettle, a word of God that doesn't get under anyone's skin, a word of God that doesn't touch the real sin of the society in which it is being proclaimed, what gospel is that? As Lutherans, we know that God's word comes to us as both law and gospel, which means that sometimes it convicts us, leads us to repentance, demands change. That God's word confronts our attitudes, actions, biases, our prejudice, worldviews, and yes, our deeply held political beliefs, and seeks to get rid of anything that is not in line with God's will, way, and kingdom. God's word breaks whatever is ill-formed within us like a hammer and burns away all that is not Christ-like in our lives. And at times that will be painful and difficult. And we may even resent the destruction that God's fire causes in our lives. But here's how author Debbie Thomas put it. She said, make no mistake. Some things must break, must shatter, must die before the word of God can take root and grow whether it is a besetting sin in my personal life or a corporate failure in my communal or national life, the question that matters is this. Do I trust God to break what needs to be broken? Do I really want God's word to engage my life at its hardest and stoniest core? Or do I only want a soft substitute? God does not like division. 
or enjoy making people uncomfortable, but God wants life, good life, abundant life for us and for everyone. God wants justice for the lowly to be lifted up, for wrongs to be made right, for equality to be known, for love and care and truth and peace to reign. God wants righteousness to flow like a river so that the kingdom of heaven grows and this world becomes what God intends for it to be. And the truth is, God just isn't going to settle for anything less than that in our lives, in our communities, and in our world. So as followers of Jesus, we should expect that we will be at odds with people and systems and institutions whenever they are not in line with God's kingdom. And we should expect to hear from God and from the church things that challenge us deeply, that make us uncomfortable, that force us to look within so that we can re-examine and reevaluate. We should expect God's word to sometimes feel like fire. But we should also remember that fire is able to cleanse, to refine, to make way for new life. You see, when a fire passes through a forest, all the nutrients that were contained in those dead trees return to the soil, and it's like a, like a booster shot that makes the ground extra fertile. With the old growth gone, the forest floor is exposed to more sunlight, allowing new things to sprout and grow. The fire even serves as a disinfectant, burning away anything that's diseased or unhealthy. And all of this combines to create the most incredible opportunity for new life. And sometimes, I learned this this week. I don't normally walk around with this much fire knowledge in my head, by the way. I looked this up. Sometimes the most amazing thing happens and places that experience a wildfire can end up with this huge explosion of thousands of flowers as far as the eye can see in every direction, something that's known as a super bloom. See, as destructive as God's fiery word may be, it also creates space for something new and better to grow so that we can know and experience and share more abundant life and love. One theologian I read this week said, God offers us a holistic, truth-telling, disinfecting peace, the kind of deep, life-changing peace that doesn't hesitate to break in order to mend, to cut in order to heal. He will disrupt all dynamics in our relationships with ourselves and with each other that keep us from wholeness and holiness. And this is not because Jesus wants us to suffer. It is because he knows that real peace is worth fighting for. God's fire doesn't just destroy. It makes room for new growth, better growth that will lead to justice and healing and life. We can trust that when Jesus challenges us, it is for God's good purpose, and the result will be deeper faith and deeper life. We can trust that when 
when God makes us uncomfortable, God's also making room for something new and beautiful to blossom. So my hope this morning is that we will not shy away from God's fire and that we will know the blessings of what grows from the ashes. And perhaps, perhaps it will even be a super bloom. Amen.